One of my favorite descriptions of revival is found in Jonathan Edwards' reflections on revival as he was experiencing what was going on in colonial New England during the first great awakening. And Edwards said that revival is the acceleration and the intensification of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Those of us that experienced the Asbury revival uh, know that that is exactly what we experienced during those days, an acceleration and an intensification of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget an experience that I had in Warren, Ohio, in a church where my wife and I and another student from Asbury College then were just sharing what God had been doing in the revival. This was about three weeks after the revival had begun. And I was up there uh, just in a kind of a matter-of-fact way telling the story of how there had been a testimony chapel and how things had unfolded and And all of a sudden, a woman stood up on the back row. She was crying, and she interrupted me and started talking to the pastor of the church. Pastor, she said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the things I've said about you, the way I've talked about you, the way I've criticized you. And you know, before she could even get finished speaking, people in the congregation just got up and started running to that altar rail at the front. I'll never forget seeing my brother-in-law heaving, sobbing, as he ran to that altar and fell on that altar. Well, there I was, watching this whole thing unfold in front of me, uh, stunned, speechless. I mean, I never even got a chance to give the invitation. I remember thinking to myself, after it was all over, I'm not really sure if it really mattered what I said this morning. I think I could have recited a nursery rhyme like Mary had a little lamb, and folks would have responded. But that's not really what I want to talk about. I could share other experiences of the Asbury Revival with you. But that's not what I really want to talk about this morning. What I want to talk about is actually a bigger question, a broader question. And that is, why do we need revivals like the Asbury Revival or awakenings like the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, etc.? Why do we need revivals like the Asbury Revival? Revivals are the exception, you know. They're not the rule. And so we shouldn't make idols out of them. Well, to answer the question, why we need revivals, I want to turn to the scripture passage that was just read for us from the second chapter of the book of Judges. In many ways, uh, Judges is a depressing book. In spite of uh, a few heroes of the faith, you know, like 
Gideon and Samson and Deborah, it, it basically recounts the cyclical, recurring, progressive, downhill slide of the people of, the, of Israel in the generations following the time of the conquest and settlement of the promised land under Joshua and his generation. And this passage that was read for us in Judges chapter 2 sort of sets the whole thing up. It introduces us to the pattern that's going to be repeated again and again throughout the whole book. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, it says. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Unlike the generations that were to come after them, we're told that the Joshua generation was a generation that remained faithful. It says they served, they worshiped the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. And then it tells us what it was that was the key to their faithfulness. They had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. During their lifetime, you know, they had been firsthand witnesses in the wilderness, water pouring out of the rocks, manna falling from heaven, and then later on, the Jordan River stopping to, so that they could cross over, stopping its flow. Jericho walls falling down flat. And a day of battle, yes, when even the sun stood still. They'd witnessed it all firsthand, experienced it with their five senses, as it's fittingly described, the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. But when that faithful generation died off, what happens? We read another generation grew up after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. I'm sure they'd heard about the work that the Lord had done. In fact, they were probably sick and tired of hearing their parents talk about it. But it was all secondhand information. They knew about the Lord. They knew about what he had done, but they themselves didn't know the Lord or had seen his mighty acts. And there's a world of difference between knowing about and knowing him and what he can do. So what happens? Well, here's what the text says. Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and worshipped the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors. They followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were all around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. You see what's going on here? They, their knowledge, their experience of the Lord and his mighty acts 
wasn't direct enough, wasn't real enough to produce confidence and certainty that would keep them faithful. And it wasn't deep enough to satisfy their deepest longings to cause them to love the Lord their God and to follow him wholeheartedly. Their hearts weren't full enough. Because they hadn't really tasted for themselves and seen that the Lord is good, their hearts were thirsty and empty and longing to be filled. And so they found themselves drawn to the Canaanite gods, the gods of their surrounding culture. And as the text puts it, they followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were all around them and bowed down to them. And trust me, everything in the book of Judges after this goes south after that. The first indication that something has fundamentally shifted is that they lose God's protection. And they become impotent to ward off the attacks of their enemies. Not only do they become impotent, they become oppressed by their enemies. So oppressed that eventually and finally they cry out to the Lord and in his wrath he remembers mercy. And he raises up a judge to deliver them. And as a result, they witness firsthand now for themselves the great works of the Lord. There's restoration and renewal and there's faithfulness that lasts for a while during the lifetime of the particular judge. And then the cycle starts repeating itself all over again. So according to the writer of the book of Judges, why do God's people need revival? Times when they experience firsthand the great works of the Lord, Times when God comes, you know, in such unmistakable ways, such powerful ways, such miraculous ways, when his presence is so immediate, so thick, so real, so manifest, so palpable, you you can't miss it. In fact, times you're almost overwhelmed by it. Revival. Times when the normal ministry, and work of the Holy Spirit is accelerated and intensified when God seems to pack, seems to compress what usually happens over a year or two into a day when you might say a thousand years seems to happen in a day. We need those kind of first-hand revival experiences because those kind of convictional experiences, unmistakable divine encounters grip us so profoundly, transform us so deeply that they set the trajectory for the rest of our lives. And as a result of revival, God's people are able to withstand cultural pressure. The generation that rose up after Joshua was spiritually weak, anemic, 
impotent, lukewarm, unable to stand up to the cultural pressures to conform and compromise. They had no conviction. They had no spiritual backbone. More than that, they were easily enamored. They were easily seduced by the gods of their culture, which even though the names and faces change, they're really always the same, aren't they? The gods of money, sex, and power. We need revivals because they produce a generation of Christians who are faithful and bold and unapologetic. Christians who are all in. Christians who find their joy and satisfaction in God. Christians who have a love passion for holiness, who will gladly lay down their lives for Jesus. Christians who aren't looking for a prosperity gospel, but in Amy Carmichael's words, a chance to die. We need revivals. Pentecostal outpourings of the Spirit like we read about in the we read about in the book of Acts, because they create true Christian community, an intense Christian community. And then the church moves forward in purity and in power and in boldness and in confidence against all odds. Revivals produce apostolic leaders like Paul. On the Damascus Road, he had such a profound encounter, such a blinding revelation of the risen, exalted Jesus that that decades later, standing in chains before Festus and King Agrippa, he, he would boldly declare, I don't care what you guys do to me. I simply can't be disobedient to the heavenly vision. This is what Jonathan Edwards saw happening to people during the First Great Awakening in colonial New England. And by the way, I think there were some people named Tennant that were in that mess, in that mix. These folks, Jonathan Edwards had, had seen them grow up. They had grown up Christian. They were members of the congregation he pastored. But during the awakening, the first great awakening, it was as if the veil was lifted And like those three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, they got a glimpse of Jesus for the first time. They were seized by a revelation of what Edwards called the divine excellency of Christ. And after that, their lives were never the same His language is quaint and a little archaic, but I love the way Edwards describes it. By the sight of the transcendent glory of Christ, true Christians see him worthy to be followed and so are powerfully drawn after him. They see him worthy that they should forsake all for him. By the sight of that superlative amiableness, 
they are thoroughly disposed to be subject to him and engaged to labor with earnestness and activity in his service and made willing to go through all difficulties for his sake. And it is the discovery of this divine excellency of Christ that makes them constant to him. For it makes a deep impression upon their minds that they cannot forget him and they will follow him whithersoever he goes and it is vain for any to endeavor to draw them away from him. That's what happens in revivals. People get seized. They get gripped. They get overwhelmed by the divine excellency of Christ They experience, as Edwards quaintly puts it, his superlative amiableness. (laughs) In other words, they're captured by his love for them. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree. David Crowder would probably have to explain that to Jonathan Edwards. But superlative amiableness, I I think they were both talking about the same thing, don't you? After her profound encounter with the Lord that went on for more than a week, Sarah Edwards, Jonathan's wife, expressed it like this. Through it all, I just could never get over how near the Lord Jesus was to me. And how dear I was to him. Revivals, as a result of being captured by his love for them, people fall in love with Jesus and stay in love with Jesus in a final, absolute way. And when that happens, it affects everything. Their lives are never the same. Ultimately, folks, we need revivals because we need more of Jesus. The church needs more of Jesus, and the world needs more of Jesus. Through revival, God raises up a generation, a people, a church, which gets refocused on Christ, as they say in Narnia, Aslan comes in sight. He bears his teeth, he roars, he shakes his mane, and as a result, we shall have spring again. The divine excellency of Christ, we discover things about him that we never knew before. Not only do we discover new things about him, we experience his fullness in us as never before. Christ in you, the hope of glory, both personally and corporately in his body, the church, Christ the Lord of the church, Christ the life of the church, and then Christ in us, accomplishing his ministry and his mission through us, not him helping us with our little ministries, but us joining with him in his ministry, both near and far, 
to our neighbor to the ends of the earth so that his kingdom will come, so that new creation may come. I was privileged to experience the Asbury revival firsthand. But you know, it was about only about 30 years later that I gained some historical perspective. And that I realized what happened here in February 1970 was actually a part of something much bigger that God was doing in our nation at the time. Yes, there was the Asbury revival that touched a lot of college campuses and seminaries and churches, but out on the West Coast, there was a thing called the Jesus Movement that touched people in the American counterculture. And then there was the charismatic renewal, introducing the person and work of the Holy Spirit back to mainline Christians and Yes, would you even believe the Roman Catholics? And it dawned on me that all these were God's ways of reaching out, especially to my generation, the baby boomers. Because he wanted us to have a firsthand experience of himself. And I believe God desires to show himself and give himself to every generation as he did mine so that the baton can be passed, so that a faithful generation of God's people can emerge, so that the world may believe, so that his kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven, so that Jesus will be exalted and glorified. Millennials and Gen Z, it's your turn. He wants to give himself to be found by you. And I believe this thing that's coming is going to be global. You see who was up here leading us in prayer today? We had the whole world up here, didn't we? God's up to something. Let me just say in closing that there are a number, uh, there are a growing number of Christians across our land from all stripes and denominations. There's a seedbed and a new room community, and there are a growing number of students on this campus that believe that we are on the cusp of an of awakening and revival today. In fact, many of us believe that he wants the Asbury, to Asbury Seminary and the Wilmore community to be a revival epicenter, an expression of what he's going to do in bringing revival and awakening in lots of places across our land and across the world. Why in the world do you think we gave Estes Chapel a makeover a couple of years ago. (laughs) As we close this morning, I want to invite our community to pray, to pray for awakening, 
or revival. I'm not exactly sure uh, where this intersects with you right now, what the Lord is calling you to do. Maybe you need revival in your own heart. And you need to pray and ask the Lord to show you what it might be that's keeping him from filling you and reviving you. Maybe you need to come and pray for your own generation that they might know firsthand the great things that the Lord has done. Maybe you need to pray for this community and this campus and this place. I, I, I don't know. There may be some of you that need to experience freedom and healing this morning. But as the praise team comes and as we uh, worship, you, uh, you just respond. You may want to come here and kneel. You may want to get face down somewhere. I, I, I don't know. You just respond. Jesus is here this morning. And seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let's stand and worship together and respond in prayer together.